Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. So another sugar beet campaign has drawn to a close. How's it been for growers? Well, we've had huge variation. The best was our heavy land lifted in October, and we came out on that at 109 tonnes a hectare, which is a record for us. But then our light land was only lifted last week, we're right down to just under 70 tonnes per hectare. We'll talk agronomy, lambing, crop, livestock and grain market updates and we'll hear the stories of some of the farmers who took their pickups to Ukraine. And as we walked around, many of our team were, were very visibly moved by the number of recent graves, in particularly the widows and children laying flowers and just seeing what a waste of life this uh, conflict is. And of course we'll see what the weather's going to do to us this week. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope you've had a good week. The last six months have seen an up and down sugar beet campaign, starting well, not ending quite so good though. I popped out to see Lincolnshire grower Andrew Ward and got some numbers for his campaign. So starting off with yield, that obviously varies depending on whether you're getting out of heavy soil or light soil, but... What kind of averages are we talking about for the year? Well, we've had huge variation. The best was our heavy land lifted in October, and we came out on that at 109 tonnes a hectare, which is a record for us. So that's really, really good. But then our light land was only lifted last week. We're right down to just under 70 tonnes per hectare. But still, that's good um, compared to some people who've been really unfortunate and had fields written off because of the frost. If you look at the whole campaign as an average, about 91 tonnes hectare which I must admit is really good considering a lot of things the issues we've had and sugar content again huge variation 18.8 was the highest loads we had at the start of the season and then last week we went right down to 14.3 I think it was 14 and a half but we've averaged out at 16.1 or 2 percent so just above the the 16 percent cutoff line and the dirt's obviously varied as well over the course of the season yeah massive amount I think our first loads that went in the factory in early October were only 2.2 percent soil which is really really good the middle the season when it was wet we had some loads at 13.2 percent which is really bad and then uh, later on last week we've we finished off um, averaging around about six percent soil which again isn't really that brilliant because it was on light sandy soil but it was harvested one day and it was delivered the next day so the crop didn't have time to dry out which normally it would have done okay and in terms of seed we've had derogations last year we've got it again this year for neonics mm. how's that affected you so we this year have got all neonicotinoid treated seed and we had that last year as well and I think it really paid off. And we've not actually seen any virus yellows then? No, we, we, we haven't yet. The aphids are, are normally come about when the, when the warm weather's here. The forecast for this coming year, and there's an experimental research station, Brooms Barn, that do all the research on sugar beet, and they say the incidence of virus yellow infection this coming year is sort of medium, but obviously the uh, neonicotinoid treated seed is going to help us big time, which means we won't need to overall spray any other insecticides. So we're going to preserve all our beneficial insects is what we want to do. Good stuff. And your next crop's about to go in? Yes, we've got the seed in the shed already. Now is about the ideal time to drill sugar beet. We're on heavy clay soils here. We've got uh, 80% mixture of silt and clay, the rest 20% sand down here. So it's really, really tricky soils. We can't be too impatient. If we end up going on it when it's too wet underneath, we damage the soil structure, we cause compaction, and ultimately that then will lessen our sugar beet yield. So we have to be patient. 
Whereas the light sandy land up on the heath, yes, we could get on that fairly soon. All right, the season starts all over again. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you very much, Steve. The lambing season's well underway too. After seeing Andrew, I headed just a few miles to Chestnut Farm at Gelston to see how it's going with Chris Elkington. Uh, we've got on really well, Steve, so far. Uh, we lamb some inside, sort of 1st of March, and they've gone really well. We've just got the few tail enders left to go. We've not had many losses. We've been able to turn out lambs fairly quickly. Uh, we had that little bit of a blip one weekend when we had a bit of snow, and but um, we managed to hold them in the sheds and then put them out afterwards. But yeah, no, it's gone well. It's just getting a bit wet underfoot. We could do a bit of dry weather, but um, we start the other lot in April outdoors. So hopefully we'll have a bit of dry weather then and uh, then we we'll carry on the sort of good, good fortune of lambing. And how have they looked weight-wise, quality-wise, etc.? They've been all right? Yeah, they've, they've been really well. Use of held condition really well throughout the winter. We've had them all on turnips and they've done really well. Any problems at all? No, our losses are fairly low. And we've got a few here in the shed. What are these in here for? Yeah, these are just latest mothers that have just had a lamb. Uh, we're on the tail enders, so they'll drag on now for weeks probably. But uh, yeah, they're just in here to mother up and then get them straight out you know, 24 hours later. Okay. Last year, you lost some newborn lambs, Chris, as a result of dogs not being on leads. Not this time, thankfully, but any words of advice for dog walkers? Yeah, we have a couple of footpaths, well-walked footpaths on the farm. And they're just all I say is just, you know, keep them on a lead. There's plenty of signs saying that there's livestock uh, on the farm. You know, just put your dog on a lead and it will solve all the problems. Common sense, isn't it, really? From walking with dogs to walking the fields. Wet fields this week. Agronomy with our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. Good morning. How's it looking, Sean? Yes, morning, Steve. Yeah, well over 40 mil of rain for me in the last eight days. That's nearly as much as I took in the year from the 1st of January to the 1st of March. Altogether, we always knew it would even itself up at some point. But fields that have got a crop put in them, they're getting a welcome drink, of course. Those that are still to drill are now frustratingly wet and sticky. And they're going to take a little bit of time before they're ready to drill. The soil temperatures have improved, though, somewhere around about 9.5 degrees Celsius at 12 centimetres. Thanks to overnight lows moving to be in the mid to high single figures and daytime highs in the low to mid teens. Philocron now fully in charge. It's all about temperature as we go forward. And if you add into that the sunshine, we're starting to see the chlorophyll beginning to fluoresce in the fields and a real improvement in the overall look of winter and spring crops alike. Winter wheat, winter barley started to take up applied nitrogen. They're improving by the day. And the emerged spring cereals, which were looking a little bit striped and dodgy because they emerged in amongst some of those sharp minus fours and five frosts in the last couple of weeks. Again, they're now picking up nitrogen and beginning to look like the healthy crops we hope they would be. Oilseed rate, we're starting to see the buds rising clear of the canopy all over the county. I said it would happen fast and it certainly is doing. The safe cut-off timing, of course, that growth stage will have now been exceeded for clopyrrolid, picloram, aralex type products. So Shield, Clearfar, Vivendi, Clopic, Corvetto, all too late to be safely applied to an oilseed rate crop once those buds begin to move upwards. Now the weather has also turned much more conducive to the movement and the spread of light leaf spots. So do keep your eyes open and treat for that as necessary. You can only protect the canopy for three weeks at a time with a dose of fungicide. So choose your weapon and treat wisely. 
but the the big old elephants in the room are of course cabbage stem flea beetle and rake winter stem weevil larvae and all seed rake they're now appearing all over the place worse where the crops caught those minus eight minus nine minus ten frosts and below in december which killed off the leaves that the larvae were in and the larvae therefore had to move into the stem or die and it's really taken until the last two to three weeks for some really good looking bits of oilseed rape to suddenly falter under the pressure of those larvae. Now I'm finding almost exclusively cabbage stem flea beetle larvae in fields of mine that have suddenly gone backwards, fields that look great until 10 days ago. Remember a beetle larvae has a head and three pairs of legs, a weevil larvae has a head but no legs and it will curl into a C shape on your hand. Now normally earlier established oilseed rape, and that was the logic for some of the early drilling last autumn, leads to thicker stems which usually withstand the onslaught reasonably well from these larvae. But it's by no means a given, because if you get cabbage stem flea beetle in the heart and they demolish the xylem and the phloem, that plant may be able to throw out side racemes to compensate, but only time will tell and it all depends on the weather. Now this is the problem with cabbage stem flea beetle. People drilled early to get it in and up and away under the assumption it was going to withstand the onslaught. So the earlier you drill, of course, the more you expose the crop to generations, four or five generations of adult cabbage stem flea beetle, and therefore four or five generations of eggs and larvae. Now, the speed that oilseed rape is shifting now may well mean that those crops which kept their leaves and the larvae didn't go burrowing into the stem can grow away from the damage. But considering that we'll have now spent around 95% of our total spend on the oilseed rape, a lot of these crops are getting the benefit of the doubt and we're leaving crops in the ground that perhaps shouldn't be left in the ground. Now bear in mind that the reason the 2020 harvest saw so few adults coming into the shed was because so many of the crops of oilseed rape were destroyed in the 2020 spring and therefore the life cycle of the adult was disrupted. Now with this being the worst year that we've seen since then, leaving dodgy larvae filled crops in the ground may just prove to be a bit of a mistake when we come later in the year and of course for the crop we drill this coming autumn we shall see for me i would say around 75 percent of my oilseed rape and i look after about 5,000 acres 75 percent of that is good maybe five percent of what's left still a little bit up in the air we haven't made our minds up yet whether that's going to stay or go the other 20 percent has already collapsed under the pressure and we've already abandoned it plenty of septorian rust as well in the winter wheat plenty of brown rust showing up in winter barley king's barn has a fair bit of brown rust in it so the t-zeros when conditions do finally allow a good opportunity to dry out that rust with a squirt of straw or teb and correct manganese magnesium deficiencies no point trying to do anything about septoria tritici at this stage at the t0 timing that's for your t1 and your t2 to deal with but primarily your t1 in about three or four weeks and that planning should be well underway by now for the t one. The ear is starting to move in the stem and I can find growth stage 30 in the main stem this week. I couldn't last week but as yet I can't find it in the lead tiller and that's important because if you've got six or seven tillers on your winter wheat crop and the main stem is at growth stage 30. That means about 12.5% of the field is at growth stage 30. If you can get the main stem and the lead tiller at growth stage 30, it's likely that other tillers are moving too. So much more of that canopy will be at growth stage 30. And that's hugely important from a plant growth regulator point of view, as I said last week. I have no sugar beet in the ground as yet. And considering when I was at college, the optimum time for drilling beet was the first week of April and that you needed a fine, firm seed bed. 
you know, it's unlikely we're going to see much sugar beet going unless it's sandy stuff for the next week at least. Needs to be a bit warm and windy and dry for sugar beet drilling to think about going. And mind you, if you're using urea, that's the worst weather you could have because you need cold and wet conditions for urea to minimise losses through volatilisation and therefore to minimise emission. Now, urease inhibitors reduce those emissions dramatically by stabilising the product in the soil. You can't afford to lose nitrogen. At the same time, if we want to keep urea, then we need to manage the emissions. And for me, it's getting plenty warm enough at 14 degrees Celsius or so to be thinking about using urea at all without a urease inhibitor on it. So just be aware of the emissions issue around urea. Plenty of rolling still to do out there in fields of winter wheat before they get to grow stage 30-31 and if you can get a chance to roll on some of these frost heavy fields for example do stay a good five days clear either side of liquid fertilizers and t0 fungicides scorch is a real risk if you damage the leaf by rolling it and then put something on it which is relatively caustic so i'm finding very few aphids still spring barley spring wheat so i'm not spraying any insecticides plenty of time for the weather to change for the better and we were always going to get rain at some stage after the dry start so let's hope she knows when to stop we're in good form though really i think there's more spring barley in the ground by the 1st of March than I've seen for a number of years. The winter wheats and winter barleys look fantastic. Most of the rate looks pretty good and we've a lot of crops just about ready to go in the ground in what will be some moist conditions. So fingers crossed the weather gods show us a bit of mercy. Let's see what the next seven days bring. Thanks as ever, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services back next week on the farming programme, which has only one more week after this on 102.2 FM in Lincolnshire. It's really easy to keep listening as we go digital. All you need to know after we hear the stories of some farmers who went to Ukraine as part of pickups for peace, plus the market reports and prices and the weather for the week to come next. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. Fancy popping to Ukraine in a pickup or a 4x4 you've donated or raised funds for? That's what 20-plus farmers did a couple of weeks ago in support of the Pickups for Peace initiative to help Ukrainian forces who are desperately short of these vehicles. There's another trip coming very soon, and it would be great to have some Lincolnshire farmers involved this time. Contact details coming up after we hear the stories of two of the guys who drove over 2,000 kilometres in their newly acquired pickups. First, Ayrshire farmer Will Galbraith. Will, what prompted you to get involved? I was... um taken by the, the idea of farmers helping to support out in Ukraine, so raised some funds and um, managed to get hold of a pickup and um, then drove it out to, to Ukraine. What did you do to raise the money? I so went online and um, got in touch with friends and family. We raised uh, about £5,000 through Just Giving, then ended up um, getting hold of a four-wheel drive pickup. It was a Toyota Hilux. It had 172,000 miles on it, but uh, was ideal for the job. It was then painted green. We loaded it up with supplies. I had quite a lot of spare tyres. They, they were need a lot of spare tyres. Uh, and also some of the local farmers very kindly and generously donated all sorts of other supplies. Some of them approached to local machinery dealers and, and farmers' markets and collected together uh, a lot of the equipment, uh, which we then put in the pickup and took out to Ukraine. Fantastic. Now, took it out to Ukraine sounds very, very easy, doesn't it? But uh, this is a fair old distance, isn't it? Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a long way. So we, um, 
we assembled in Newcastle and took the ferry from North Shields across to Amsterdam. Uh, then on day one, we drove for over 12 hours through the Netherlands and Germany and stayed just across the Polish border. We were in small groups, there were 22 vehicles, but we arrived in small groups between 10 o'clock and midnight. And then another group of vehicles from um, the south uh, joined us. They'd taken the Dover to Calais route. The following morning, we set off through Poland, arriving at the Polish-Ukraine border in the afternoon. Crossing the border was a slow process. It took about four to five hours, but there was plenty of good banter and chat amongst the team of farmers. And once all the vehicles were through, we drove on and parked them up for the night and, and then um, were minibused on to Lviv. And we stayed in the hotel in Lviv, arriving there um, about 10 o'clock at night. So another long 12-hour um, day that day. And when you say we, who went with you? So there were um, 22 vehicles in total uh, and about 30 farmers and um, other people who worked in the farming industry of all ages. Uh, the youngest was um, 18 and the oldest, I think, was in his 70s from right across um, Scotland and, and England. Why did you do this in the first place? I was keen to support the cause. Um, I'm, I'm ex-military myself, so I suppose that had a bit of bearing on it. Um, but I think it is really important to support uh, Ukraine and, and the democracy of Ukraine. Uh, it is a big farming uh, country and um, they were desperate for support of, of any kind they could, they could get. And therefore, um, I think farmers being able to provide uh, pickup trucks and first aid and supplies that they might need was, was an obvious cause to support. And it, it chimes well with, with the farming community. You feel like you're actually helping and doing something positive uh, for, the, for the Ukrainians. Another of the group was Wiltshire arable farmer Alex Swanton. Alex, what was the reception like when you got to Lviv? Well, very good. We, we got met by one of the senior officers from the brigade uh, who, who were donating to. He was a farmer himself. And I think he came forward because he spoke the best English. And uh, yeah, he sort of entertained us and said a few words. I mean, everyone we spoke to was very generous and obviously, you know, full of thanks. This initiative is going to be of huge help to them, isn't it? Yes. Well, I think what was, you know, really striking was how quickly they put the 22 pickups we took out into operation. So they received them. We dropped them off the following day, which was a Saturday. And by the following Thursday, they were on a transporter to Bakhmut. That's where the, you know, the real fighting at the moment is... Uh, is going on at the moment so they were in action within a week and it, it is just chatting to them it's just really what they need you know they've got guns and they've got bigger things coming like tanks but actually just getting people around and getting ammunition here and there and supplies other supplies medical and food you know they just need these things behind the front line and they said with these pickups they allowed another small battalion or something to get mobilized so it really, you know, really did make a big difference and they sort of need this stuff now. But it, yeah, it was just really good that you could donate it directly to the military and you could see that it was going to be used straight away. But yeah, I'd encourage anyone to do the trip. It was very humbling, awe-inspiring sort of trip. And back to Will, you went with your son and it was a rather emotional day after handing over the pickup. At the end of the trip, we did go and uh, visit um, a cemetery in central Lviv uh, and my son, who's only 20, 
Um, he walked around in silence as he looked at the graves, and there were graves of boys there age 20, younger than him, who had been killed in the fighting less than two weeks ago. And as we walked around, many of our team were, were very visibly moved by the number of recent graves, and uh, in particularly the widows and children laying flowers, and, and just seeing what a waste of life this uh, conflict is, and anything that can, can be done to you know, bring it to an end quicker or, or, or to provide support in terms of medical support or casualty evacuation, that, uh, and, and that's what some of these vehicles will be being used for, um, evacuating casualties, it's a really important um, thing that they can do. Uh, and, and every Ukrainian we met, and you know, then they asked what we were doing, and we explained our story to them. They were, they were um, hugely um, appreciative of everything we'd done. And I think it lifted their spirit and lifted their, their morale. Knowing that um, there are other countries supporting them uh, means a huge amount to them. And um, that's important to keep their spirits up and, and, and keep them going. Absolutely. They're definitely not on their own. Any problems along the way? Uh, yes, we had one vehicle that uh, broke down, but um, we managed to tow it to safety and it was then um, repaired and uh, carried on its way. But uh, the east of, um, sorry, the, the west of Lviv is, is, is safe, and, um, or as safe as it can be. Of course, it's in a war zone, but uh, life was carrying on as, as, as much as normal as the people could do normally, um, and it felt quite normal being there, um, albeit um, uh, on the final day while there were still some people left there that there was an air raid siren, but nothing came of that. Uh, so it, it felt very normal out there. So apart from the small breakdown that we had, everything else went, went very well. Um, and I'd encourage as many people as possible to support this, this wonderful cause. Well done to all those who took part. Brilliant work. Fancy doing your bit next trip? There's two more trips planned, one of which is this week. And if you'd like to know more, email pickupsforpeace at memus, M-E-M-U-S dot com, or message at pickupsforpeace on Twitter. So come on, Lincolnshire. If you are going to go, drop me a message, email farming at linksfm.co.uk. Links FM Farming. Market reports. Starting with livestock from Louth's auctioneer, Oliver Chapman. Good morning, Oliver. Morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth, starting with the prime cattle and a trade that can only be described as off the clock, with steers topping at 316 pence per kilo or £1,861 for JS Brooks or Strubby, while the heifers top at 299 pence per kilo for JS Brooks or £1,985 for GS Paul. All of those prices top and record breaking prices for a non fat stock wheat. On to the cool cows and a super show. See cows sell to 187 pence per kilo for B. Jarnell or £1,579 for DCFM Quotas Limited. Cool bulls sell to 179 pence per kilo or £1,410 for FW Robinson and Son. And OTM heifers sell to 247 pence per kilo and £1,861 for GL and MCAR. Store cattle week this week and a tremendous show saw steers sell to £1,390 for Giles Everard and all in average 1042 Heifers sell to £1,550, an average of 1023 for WH Jakes and Sons. And cows and calves top at £1,530 for B. John Ellenson. On to the sheep, similar number, twice the amount of trade with an SQQ of 265.34 pence per kilo and an all-in average of 248.74 pence per kilo. R.I. Cluffinson topped the pence per kilo at 293 well, the pounds per head is topped by N.A. and A.C. Collishaw up from Spalding at £144.50. 
Cool Hughes, very similar number, slightly dearer on the week with an all-in average of £137.17, making us one of the dearest places probably this week to sell Hughes to top for B. Patron, son of Martin, at £190. Finally, just a handful of store hogs pulled from the fat, not quite heavy enough or carrying enough meat to top for F. Johnson and Son of Walesby Moor to all in average £73.50. Huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported this week. For all marketing of livestock or machinery, please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Layoff Market. Thank you. Thanks, Oliver. And with our weekly look at the grain markets, Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Despite proclamations last week by the Ukraine of 120-day extension, it appears that Russia will only be prepared to grant a 60-day extension, confirmed in writing to relevant parties, and that any further extensions will be dependent on sanctions being lifted, with reference to them being reinstated to the SWIFT banking system, which is unlikely to happen. Interestingly, the UN announcement did not mention a time frame for the extension and the 60-day extension expires four days after the Turkish elections, with Ergodon currently behind in the polls. The market decided that the extension was negative to prices on the premise that grains will continue to flow. However, this will be at a diminishing pace as stocks are running down and ship owners are wary of getting stuck in the corridor, with waiting times of up to 70 days in some cases. Meanwhile, the conflict continues to escalate as the Chinese president's visit to Russia was shown as solidarity against the West. Reports today suggest that a deal may have been struck to supply Russian wheat to China. So looking at barley this week, more of the same with a non-existent old crop malting barley market. If there are still buyers out there, they have retreated into the wake of the further massive falls in the world futures market this week. We should have completed loading four boats of malting barley from the south and west ports this week, despite the very wet weather. We have more to come in April, so that will keep the export programme moving nicely. But these are all old crop sales, already covered with no new export business on the horizon. New crop has had limited buying interest because of the downturn in all commodity values. We still have some areas in the south to be planted with spring barley. When this is completed, we will have some selling interest from farm. So we are hoping for some new crop molsters to come to the market soon. Looking at all seed rate, prices have continued to fall with Matif losing over 100 euros in the last 13 trading days. Signs of ample rapeseed supplies in Europe continue to weigh on prices along with general weakness in rival oils and pressure from stronger sterling. EU rapeseed imports so far for 2022-23 have been reported at 5.87 million metric tonnes compared to the 3.81 last year. This is in addition to the already large EU rape crop and subdued demand. There's talk that some EU crushes are switching to soybeans driven by huge demand for soy meal, high prices and indeed better crush margins. It is only adding to the rapeseed surplus across the EU and means that rapeseed prices need to work lower to recover the demand needed. So looking at prices this week, May feed wheat 180 to 188, July 182 to 192, August new crop off the combine 184 to 194 and November 192 to 202. Milling wheat premiums for old crop are circa £60. Limited feed barley and malting barley price for old crop, so please do speak to your open field farm business manager for available markets. And lastly, all seed rape, April 340 to 350, June 345 to 355, August off the combine 345 to 355, and November 347 to 357. Thank you very much. Thanks, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. 
cloudy skies and just light drizzle this afternoon, a light northeasterly and highs of six, down to minus one though overnight. The wind backs to northwesterly tomorrow, mostly dry with highs of seven and another cold night to follow. Rain each day for the rest of the week, getting warmer with daytime highs just in double figures and nighttime lows avoiding the frosts. The wind turns southerly from Tuesday and picks up towards the end of the week when we can expect gusts hitting 40 miles per hour. Finally, do make sure that you're listening on DAB Radio, the free Lynx FM app or smart speaker ahead of Lynx FM going all digital from the 3rd of April. That's after the next programme. Time is running out. Now, if you're already listening that way or online or to the podcast, there's no changes. Just if you listen on 102.2 FM, then you need to make the switch. And if you need any help, visit lynxfm.co.uk and scroll down to the box How to Listen. That's it for this time. I'm Steve Orchard. Until next week, when we look ahead to countryside links, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.